If you want to support any of the podcasts produced by Multiple World Productions, consider going to multipleworldproductions.com slash books, where you can pick up any of my released Kindle books, including the Operation Swan Song trilogy, Our Past Does Not Define Us, In the End, the Echo Omega series, and Sizzle Reel for just $2.99 each. Thank you. Good evening, and welcome to be uh, 30 Minute Reviews. I am Adam, uh, in what will probably be an episode where we have to do can the review aspect, because of the amount of news that we have to talk about today. Um, so let's see, where should we start off? Let's start off with the celebration news that we missed. Now, the first thing we should really address are the, there's the trailer that came out that we didn't talk about in the... Uh, in the main episode, because it came out after we recorded, also Josie doesn't care about the show, uh, Visions Season 2. Now, again, I think that Visions Volume 2 is going to be a lot of what made Visions Volume 1 kind of work, which is there's a lot of cool visuals, a lot of cool things that look kind of interesting, but at the same time, it's not going to be a particularly deep show that's going to change the canon or anything like that. Now, we do know that Wedge Antilles will be in one episode, but again, last season we had a Boba Fett episode, so it's not exactly something that I'm particularly shocked about. The idea of having returning characters is not new to this, nor do I think that it is a something that is going to be new and unique. That's, you know, it's going to be cool to look at. And I think that, you know, for what this show is, which is a binge-watch approach with a couple, um, with like nine episodes, like, cool idea with these self-contained stories that don't impact the wider universe. I think it's an interesting way to do it. I just don't know if it's something that's going to match, you know, the quality of, say, Tales of the Jedi um, or or uh, Bad Batch, where it's like, alright, these are all kind of disposable, and at the same time, they're great and they look really cool, but like they don't measure up to other science fiction anthology shows, specifically like Love, Death, and Robots over on Netflix, which I think is a better, that does kind of the same thing, just about the Star Wars reskin, and it does a little bit better. Um, the the next two things are both announcements for new new seasons. Uh, the first is the Bad Batch is getting a third and final season. The second is that Tales of the Jedi is getting a second season. Now let's do Tales of the Jedi first, because Tales of the Jedi is the one where it's kind of cut and dry. More Tales of the Jedi is always a good thing. I don't think we got any new information about what is and is not included in the second season. Um... But if it's more of what made the first season work, then I'm all for it. Um, even the, the episodes that weren't great still did a great job of filling in points in the timeline that aren't, you know, super ironed out. Hopefully this one will tell more of what happened between 1 and 2. I feel like there is a lot in the old canon in that time period. There is uh, that Anakin Jedi Quest series that's for young readers which does kind of tell a lot of stories in between that period, and I remember reading that as a kid and being really into it. But that said, um, we, we we don't really have a... Um, what the, we don't really have a, a point where, you know, that's really well laid out. Especially, maybe a lead into the rise of the Confederacy would be helpful. What led Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan to Naboo? All of that would be cool. They do kind of talk about that a little bit in um in in the one of the queen's peril books i forgot which one it is 
but they do talk about it a little bit, but I'd like a little bit more in there. Um, I know that's kind of interesting. Now, the Bad Batch is the one that I want to talk a little bit more about, because the Bad Batch Season 3 is the one that I think has the better, um, has more to talk about. Now, number one, this is going to be the last season, which means this is going to wrap up the story of the Bad Batch. I think that there's no way this team lives through it. I think the team all ends up dead by the end of it. Um, which, okay, understandable. Um, I think that the idea that we have this whole, you know, this whole cloning story has to be wrapped up reasonably soon because we do need to get to a point where uh, that's all it's win. Now, I don't think... Now, I think it'll be a great... Here's the thing. I think that if Ahsoka comes out and if Thrawn lives through Ahsoka or Ahsoka ends with, like... And I think there's a solid chance that this happens where it's, like, there is a, a very strong chance that we're selling Ahsoka on Thrawn being there, but Thrawn doesn't make an appearance until the end. Where it's the specter of Thrawn, or the hand of Thrawn, uh, really, that's, you know, the thing to be feared, but he doesn't make an appearance until the very end. I think it's an interesting way they could do that, which would potentially lead to um, his return. I think that the smart thing to do, considering we're dealing with Mount Tantus and we're dealing with Wayland and we're dealing with all of these things from Air and the Empire, I think that laying that out there and having them not, you know, I think them dying at Wayland and them not being successful, or them dying at Wayland and Omega escaping, I think that leaves fertile ground for them to come back to it with Thrawn. Especially considering we have Heir to the Empire said explicitly in the trailer. I think we're looking at Heir to the Empire as a as a basis for for that movie. Um and I think that I would be surprised if that like I think we have three movies coming that all have basis in the old canon. I think that if the new movies aren't called New Jedi Order, Heir to the Empire, and um what was the first one? And uh, Dawn of the Jedi. I would be genuinely shocked if those are not the names of the three movies. Um, but going forward, I think this is an interesting, you know, you have a lot of ground to cover here, and I think that could be interesting. The other reason I wanted to cover this is, once this is done, there will not be an animated show like this that we have going on. Um, there will be no, you know, this will be the first time in a long time that we don't have an ongoing animated show, be it. Clone Wars, be it Rebels, be it Resistance, be it Bad Batch, there won't be one, which means that we could be getting, you know, maybe we get a High Republic show after this. Maybe that's where I put Filoni after all of this, and they say, here, do a High Republic show. Maybe do, because the thing is, they showed Old Republic on there, and if Old Republic's just on there just because nice the Old Republic is getting remastered, I feel like that's a waste. Maybe we get an Old Republic show. Maybe we get Jedi Sith War show. Maybe we get a, um... A, a New Republic kind of show. like Maybe they do Rangers of the New Republic as an animated show, and that way you can do that story with Cara Dune just without Gina Carano. There is a way to get around it, and I think that is the way to do it. Um, and I'm interested to see where they go with this, because this has me the most excited, not because the Bad Batch is ending, but because of what the Bad Batch ending could represent going forward. Uh, what could it mean in terms of what new shows could come and what new avenues of storytelling could come. But yeah, I think that this is 
probably the greatest blue sky period we have for Star Wars in a long time. Now, the next big news item I want to talk about is the trailer for The Marvels, um, which dropped today, and we now know a little bit more about the movie and a little bit more about what's going on in the MCU regarding where Miss Marvel left off last time we saw it. Um, and I think that this this movie, I it, it has the potential to be the most interesting of the year. And let me explain why. We've now seen Quantumania. And I think Quantumania, I liked it the first time I saw it. I have a feeling that I will not like it upon a second viewing. Um, and I would be interested to see how it holds up for me when it does come to Disney Plus and I watch it there. But that said, I think that, you know, it, it's not the strongest movie. Uh, a lot of it comes down to Kang, and if Kang's not there, a lot of the other stuff that's in the movie doesn't quite work. Then you get the next movie, which is, um, what was the next one after that? Guardians of the Galaxy, which appears to be mostly self-contained, because the Guardians of the Galaxy movies have set in motion things for Infinity War and Endgame, but by and large, they, they are self-contained. Um, and this feels like another self-contained kind of cosmic adventure. The Marvels feels like it could tie back in in a big, bad way. And it could design, like, you know, lay out the design for where the MCU is going in the future in a way that these other movies aren't designed to. Um, and I think that's why I have the most interest going into this. And, and this whole thing with, like, them switching back and forth uh, is a cool concept um, that if done incorrectly, could get annoying after a certain point. Um, hopefully they just kind of get to a point where all three of them are working together and it's kind of okay. So I, I think that's an interesting show that, or an interesting movie that could come about. That fight sequence at the end looks like it could be really cool. Um, and based on the synopsis they put out, it seems like this is going to have the widest reaching implications for setting up the future in the cosmic aspects of the MCU, where it is about, like, what happened at the end of Captain Marvel where she dealt with that supreme intelligence, destabilized the Kree, which led to the events of Guardians of the Galaxy. Then on top of that, you also have the decimation, or the snap, or the blip, or whatever you want to call it, where Thanos wiped out half of the universe, and then everyone came back, which also destabilized further. So now we have a situation where the, the Kree empire is completely destabilized, so how does that impact what's going on? Especially now that we have the rise of these new people who think that that's going to happen. So it feels like it could be a more cosmic version of a similar plot to um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where they're dealing with that ramification. Or that could be me uh, reading into it too much. So it's kind of an interesting situation they find themselves in. Um, and I think that the dynamic with them could be interesting. I'm really interested, mostly in Iman Vellani. I think she's really endeared herself in a way that I think that the other two haven't, namely because I don't think that it really helped that Carol didn't know who she was for most of her movie, and then the next times we see her, it's all in crossovers and post-credit scenes, so we don't really get a chance to really know that character for what that character is. Because the, the way we see Carol now is not Carol from, you know, from Captain Marvel. Because Captain Marvel, she doesn't know who she is. She is just, you know, a, a Kree weapon who had her memories kind of wiped and was dealing with that and didn't know who she was or what she's doing. Now that we're kind of developing back her personality, we're getting to see a new character and a new way of doing it. Um, and then also, I don't think we really got a ton of adult 
uh, Monica because we only really got her in in a little bit in um, what's it called in uh, in in WandaVision, and I don't think that's enough to really know the character well. At the same time, I think the way we see and understand um, what's her name to act, uh, Iman Vellani to act as Kamala Khan, I think we that that's going to be reflective of reality for her. That's going to be how we see her going into this, uh, what's it called, going into this movie. Um, and that's going to be more of the same, and I think that that's always the best um, for, for what we have here. Um, and I, and I think that these characters getting to play off of each other could also help, and it could allow for more room for development. Um, and I think, too, um, I don't know if we're going to be looking at quite as serious a movie, but I know I just said this for, for Secret Invasion a few, or was it last week or two weeks ago? Um, I feel like this could be the Winter Soldier for, for Phase 5, in so much as the first Captain Marvel is kind of divisive. Um, a lot of people like it, a lot of people really didn't. I'm kind of in the middle on, on it. I wasn't super thrilled about it. There were things that worked, there were things that I didn't particularly care for. Um, like I get what they're going for, a lot of times it just didn't quite land for me. That said... This could, and it's the, same, it's the exact same argument you hear from people who are like, yeah, I kind of like Captain America. And it's a period piece, and it's, you know, it doesn't impact the broader MCU in the immediate, besides introducing the character, and it's, it's kind of the same kind of thing. Um, the question is, um, is this going to be the same quality as Winter Soldier, and could this endear people to Captain Marvel in the way that the Winter Soldier endeared people to Captain America? In a way that people, you know, hate people. I, I think Captain America was people's least favorite character coming out of it was him or Thor coming out of um, out of the first Avengers movie. And then by the time Thor: The Dark World came out, Captain America wasn't the least liked, but only because Thor had one additional movie to fuck up. And then by that point, he quickly became a fan favorite. And then from then on, it was always, oh, Captain America is now a cultural icon in a way that he always kind of was, but Chris Evans' portrayal specifically has kind of glommed onto American society. Um, and I'm interested to see if this movie can kind of do the same thing for Carol and maybe make her more, I don't want to say likable, because I feel like that's the wrong word, but at the same time, it's kind of the right word. Which, before we get on to our third story... Let's talk a little bit about our sponsor, which is Gamefly. If you go to multipleworldproductions.com slash Gamefly or look at the link in the description, you can go and check out um, their complete catalog of new and older games to rent and try out. With our, you know, our, our link, you get a free 30-day trial with Gamefly. If you uh, want to try a game out before you buy it, just go on their website. You can try it. Like, let's say you want, you've been hearing a lot of things about this game Elden Ring. And you want to try out to see if it's any good. Um, and then you go to the store, you buy it, it's $60, you get it home, you pop it in, and you're like, oh, this game is way too hard for me, but I'm out $60. Because you can't return a game once you buy it, they won't let you do that. Um, you've heard me talk about that before, my experience with Deformers. If I had Gamefly when the Deformers incident happened a few years ago, then I wouldn't have been out the 40 bucks that I paid for it. Um, and... You can try it out before you buy it. You can, you know, you can see if it's your cup of tea. And then if you like it, you can go ahead and buy it. They have used games. They have new games. They have games for current consoles, games for older consoles. They got a, a, a pretty sweet library of, of uh, 3DS games, including, like, old Pokemon games, like Pokemon X and Y and Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. They got Switch games, PS1, uh, PS4, 
uh, PS5, Xbox 360, I don't know how the hell, not 360, uh, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, whatever the new one is. They got they got all kinds of stuff like that. Check out Gamefly, use our link, you get a free 30-day trial for the subscription service. After that, it's like $16 a month. Um, so, uh, yeah. Now, our third story of the day is, in an interview, Grant Gustin has said that he is not in the Flash movie. Uh, he was asked in an interview with, I forgot the source, whether or not he was going to make an appearance in the upcoming Flash movie uh, that's coming out in theaters with Ezra Miller in the lead. He said uh, that is not the case, and he said he hasn't been keeping it a secret, it's just no one has asked him. Uh, so there's no grand conspiracy, it's just no one has asked him if he's in the movie. But the answer is no. Now, I am hesitant to believe him. Because number one, we had this happen two years ago with Charlie Cox uh, being asked about being in Daredevil, being Daredevil in, uh, in in No Way Home. We had this with um, what's his name with uh, with Andrew Garfield being asked constantly about whether or not he was going to be in No Way Home, and, and they said no. Uh, John Krasinski was asked over and over again, "Are you going to be in um, uh, in in Multiverse of Madness?" As, um, and he said no, uh, and he was in there. It's just. I feel like had the same question been posed to um, Anson Mount during the press for um, Strange New World, which it wasn't, um, are you coming back? He would have denied it too. Um, the difference is, for whatever reason, we don't look at TV actors the same way we look at movie actors. And I think the fact that no one has asked Grant yet is kind of telling. Um for how little people, you know, pay attention to, or or how they look at the CW shows. They look at them as, you know, let's be honest, CW shows. Like, I I tune in every week and watch The Flash. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm there every, you know, for me it's on Thursday because it is a, um, what's it called? It's a, uh, it's a CW app. But I, I, I'm there every week, and I'm watching it. Um, but I know that's not the case for most pe- for most people. The ratings aren't that great. Um, and, I, and I think people who enjoy the show would be like, oh, shit, there's Grant, but I feel like there's, it's, a, it's an audience like that. That said, Marvel brought back Anson Mount as Black Bolt, and no one liked uh, Inhumans. Um, and and it feels like Marvel is potentially bringing back uh, Chloe Bennett as, um, as Sky, or not Sky, uh, Daisy. In um, Agents of Shield. Now again, let me reiterate. I understand these are two different companies with two different, you know, divisions and all of that. That said, I think Marvel Television under Jeff Loeb is technically a different division from Marvel Studios, so it's not exactly the same contract or anything. Um, so it, 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 I don't know if it's the same situation or different. Um, but I feel like when we get to, um, talking about Grant here, I feel like there's more room for that. Um, and I, I think too, and I've said it before, I want to see the scene where he sits down Barry and does the cup conversation. I, I don't think that that's going to be the case here. Um, I think that there's a chance to just do, like they could do archive footage like they did on the flash in season two when they showed, um, like Supergirl and they showed, um, nineties flash when he went into the multiverse, like that's a distinct possibility as well. I don't know if that's what they would do 100%, nor do I, you know, do I have any in. I just feel like when you're doing a multiverse story, 
and you have this character going on for nine years now, and and I, I feel like it's a colossal missed opportunity to not have him there. That said, we did just have a Black Adam movie that did not reference Shazam once because The Rock did not want to acknowledge Shazam. Um, so there's precedent here at DC to make weird and dumb decisions, but I, I don't think it's that likely. Um, plus, they're doing a press. They're doing press with with Grant Gustin and not the full cast, and they're doing press to a degree that I'm like, this is just to remind people that he's played the Flash for nine years. There's no other reason why at this point in the season you're throwing him on the Today Show to promote a middle of the season episode of the Flash. So it's not even like they put him on there with Stephen Amell to promote the crossover episode that's coming up. Um, it was like. Three weeks ago or two weeks ago, they put him on there to promote the episode two weeks ago with, with Nia. And I'm like, I don't think that's an episode that you put marketing budget on the Today Show on. And if you do, you also bring in Nicole Maines. You don't just put him up there. You put her up there, too. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the indicator I have that there's a possibility that he shows up. Um, and the only reason I think that I think it could be interesting um, cause I, like, that's the only reason that I think you do this. You have this, this promotional campaign going on with Grant at this point in the season. Because, like, the other thing is, what do you gain out of good ratings on a season, uh, series finale? Nothing. Because you can't market on it because the show is over. So, it doesn't make sense to put a marketing budget beyond what you were doing before. And, and to a large degree more than you were doing before. It just doesn't make sense to me to do that. Let's bring us to our final story of the night. Our final story being... Hang on, I have to switch pages because I have a meeting that I have to go into. Uh, Super Mario movie breaks the animated box office record. Well, it doesn't break it. It's number two of all time, just behind Finding Dory. But it put up an astronomical $150 million in its opening weekend, which is just phenomenal. All around phenomenal. Congratulations to them. Great job. The movie's entertaining enough. Check, check it out. That's not a great endorsement, but check it out. It's, it's you know, it's worth a watch if you're a fan of Mario. Um, but can we stop with these think pieces? Like, our cinema's dying? Our cinema's dying? It's like, we, we just came off of Avatar 2, which opened to, like, it's the number three movie of all time. Um, no Way Home broke two billion. Like, Venom Let There Be Carnage set the record for highest grossing movie in an opening weekend for the month of October. Like, Top Gun Maverick did a great job. I think that this is twofold. Number one, it is... Well, I think the, the, the only thing is, there is this thing where they don't want to acknowledge, like, IP movies. There's this thing, and, and I listen to I listen to The Daily on a regular basis, the, the, the podcast that the New York Times does. They do phenomenal reporting there. Definitely worth checking out. Their film critic left, and one of the reasons he cited is an overabundance of um, big franchise movies, where the franchise and the fandom are kind of one and the same. And he said that was part of the reason why he got out of film criticism and why he went over to, to book criticism, because there's no franchises in books. There's no fandom in books. I'm being facetious. Of course there fucking are. But he, he says all of this. And look, he's entitled to his opinion. He's entitled to that. But look, here's the thing. I've seen... 25 movies already this year, 26, 27, and quite a few of them are not major franchises. I would say at least two-thirds are not major franchises. Um, but the point is, 
we don't want to acknowledge when major franchises do well. They only want to look at, well, what about this long underserved, like, what about this market that isn't really doing well theatrically anymore? That's not doing well, therefore theaters are dying. It's like, well, no. Like, when John Wick 4 is coming out and setting a franchise record for the highest opening, when Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is coming out and setting a franchise record for opening weekend, when, like, when, when all of this is happening, like, we can't say that theaters are dying. You can, you can act like we're, we're at a point where it's like, oh, it's only these big franchise movies that are doing it, and you could have a valid point, but it's not that theaters are, are dying. And if you make an article saying that, you're, you're just flat out wrong. Like, look, do I think that it's likely that Into the Spider-Verse, or Across the Spider-Verse, is going to break the record that, um, what's it called, just set, that Super Mario just set? No, probably not. Do I think it'll be a better movie? I think 100% it'll be a better movie. But those are two different things. And, and I think that a lot of times, quality does not line up with box office returns, look at Transformers. I mean, Transformers made a fuck ton of money, but those aren't the best movies on any level. Um, but they always made a ton of money. Um, because they're visual spectacles. We've known for a, a, about 15 years at this point that if you make a movie that looks really cool, people will show up and watch it because they can't get that experience at home. And, and that is what the theaters are. It is an amusement park ride. Like, I mean, Scorsese said it, and people lambasted him for it, but he's right. Like, when it comes down to it, like, I will always go and see a movie in the theater before I watch it at home, if possible. I will try my best to go and see a movie in the theater. No matter how this can wait for streaming a movie is, I will try to watch it in the theater. Um, that said, there are definitely movies that the general audience who doesn't do this on a regular basis to do reviews, will look at and be like, yeah, this movie's going to be on Netflix, or this movie's going to be on Peacock, or this movie's going to be on Paramount+, Plus, or this movie's going to be on whatever streaming service, and I'll wait until it hits that to watch it, because I don't need to watch it at home or in a theater. Like, when you watch, like, A Good Person, it is a okay movie. It's not great, but it is okay. You don't need to see that movie in a theater, though. That is not a, a theater-viewing-experience movie. You don't need to see, like, A Man Called Otto in a theater. It's not the worst movie you can spend your time seeing in the theater, but it's not a movie you have to see theatrically to get the full experience. If you don't see Avatar The Way of Water in a theater, you might as well not see the movie. Because your TV and sound system at home cannot do what that movie does in a theater. If you have the right kind of theater with the right equipment. Um, the same goes for, like, I, I watched... You know, I watched Shazam, uh, Fury of the Gods in a the theater. I got a moderate amount of enjoyment out of it. it it's not a great movie. It's, I would I would venture a guess to say it's not even a good movie. But I got a moderate amount of enjoyment out of it. If I sat down and watched Super Mario at home, I probably would not have enjoyed it as much as I did sitting down in a theater to watch it. Because you don't, like, the, the, the experience of having that giant screen with, you know, capabilities in eight in eight uh, high definition that your TV at home cannot hope or even wish to to mirror is what makes it work and if we're living in this world where we're gonna wa we're gonna you know watch movies in a the theater the 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 what's gonna get me going out to a theater for an eighteen dollar seat like is it gonna be watching Zach Braff do a meditation on whatever you know issue was on his mind that day he was writing the script? No, it's not. It's going to be 
you know, whatever the big tentpole is. It's going to be Fast and the Furious. It's going to be, you know, and all the people are like, oh, it's killing theaters. Oh, it's killing theaters. Bullshit. The, the issue that's killing theaters is not, you know, these movies coming out. It's these movies demanding as many screens as they do is what's killing theaters. And look, the movie probably won't make as much money, and the theaters won't be able to stay open. It's a weird catch-22, where it's like, we have these big, you know, movies that are coming out, and Mario's making $150 million, almost $200 million in its opening weekend on a five-day, you know, weekend. And looking at it that way, it's like, oh, shit, this movie made a lot of money, but, you know, it, it occupies five out of 17 screens, or six out of 17 screens, which is a lot. But at the same time, like, if you are a smaller theater, like one of my local theaters around here that I don't go to, because, you know, I have A-list, so I, I use AMC, but, like, we have smaller theaters that have, like, eight screens or four screens or, or two screens. There are some two-screen theaters. And if they have the choice between showing paint on one screen or Mario on two, they're going to show Mario on two, because Mario is going to get asses in seats. Paint is not. And that's that, that is the issue. If you want to see one of these movies in a theater and you live near a theater that has more than seven screens, you will likely be able to. Like, I'm, I'm fortunate I live near a theater that has 17 screens. Um, and there's another theater not far that has 16 screens. So I have options available. Like, if you live in New York City and you want to see one of these movies... The AMC in Times Square has 25 screens. There is no shortage of ways to see movies in a theater if you live near one and you want to do it. Um, so it's not that these movies are being blocked out. I mean, to an extent, they are being blocked out because even smaller screen, smaller theaters are not doing that. But again, that comes down to your individual theater owner, not the studio. I mean, and, and look, let's be honest. There have been reports that Disney does kind of strong-arm people into putting their movies into multiple screens, otherwise they don't get it. I understand that. There's no evidence to indicate that Mario did that um, this week. So I, I can't say for certain that they did. Like, we, we've heard about it from Disney in the past. We have not seen it happen here. And I'd be curious to hear a theater owner tell me what is and is not true in that regard. Um... I may reach out to two local theaters that I'm, I'm near and, and ask, hey, is this true? I've heard this, you know, this rumor about this, and, and I, I kind of want to, you know, find out how accurate it is. I may reach out to the programming directors and ask them. Um, but anyway, um, so then there's that. We have one final thing now. We have a piece of listener mail. And this one, they did, um, I'm not going to give the name. Uh, hey, Adam, love the show. If you could remaster any game from the past, what would it be? And this is something that I've been thinking about lately. Not because I have the means to remaster any game I want, or I have the the ability to tell any company to do what I want. It is just uh, something I was thinking about. And it's not specifically... Um, what's it called? It's not specifically that they should... Um, oh, I hope that's not true. Um... And it's not specifically that I would remaster these games because I have a, a deep affection for it. I'm just, this is more of a, I'm surprised this hasn't happened yet. So a few years back, Disney re-released Aladdin and The Lion King and uh, Jungle Book, the Sega Genesis 16-bit games. They re-released those as um, 
you know, on the Switch and on PC as, like, the Disney Genesis 16-bit collection. And I bought them, and and they're just as fun as they were back then. And we also got Sonic Origins, which remastered all of the original Sonic games and put that out. And Sonic Mega Collection has put it, has made money historically. The Atari Collection made money. The, you know, Sega Mega Collection made money. With all these things making money, there's one thing that I'm surprised Disney has not done yet. And it is the PS1 and N64 games. Specifically, um... Twitch R2, Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Specifically, A Bug's Life. Specifically, um, what's it called? Specifically, what was the third one? Um, Monsters, Inc. Um, and I'm going to throw this one in just for, you know, my own. I really enjoyed this game as a kid, and I'd like the chance to play it again without having to dig out my PlayStation and find a copy of this game at a local game store. Um, Buzz Lightyear, Star Command. Because um, all of these games are really really fun. They all have, you know, the nostalgia that goes with it. Um, I can think the Buzz Lightyear one will never happen because they don't want to acknowledge that show, considering that show is substantially better than Lightyear the movie. Um, but I would, I, if that came out for the Switch or for, or for uh, PC, day one, I would buy that. And if you have a question that you want to hear answered, you can go to Multiple World Productions slash Contact, or... In the talk back section on each episode, you can just leave your question uh, on Spotify. Um, so on that note, we'll wrap up. We do have some notes of what's going to be coming up in the future. So this week on Exploring Hyperspace Lanes, Ad uh, Josie and I discuss all the news out of the first day of Star Wars Celebration. So if you heard what I talked about on this show, we're not going to talk about any of that, but all the stuff from the episode I did last week. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that. Um, beware of spoilers, this week is a little weird because it's a birthday, uh, for someone in my family, so it's gonna limit when I can and can't do things. Uh, we're definitely gonna be doing Renfield on Saturday. Uh, I'm thinking Suzumi on Sunday, but that will be contingent on screening times. Um, in terms of series talking about, or series discussions, we have, uh, Mando continuing, uh, it is episode 7 this week, Gotham Knights unfortunately continuing, The Power continuing, Tiny Beautiful Things. We will continue our coverage of, even though it's already out in its entirety, uh, we're doing it broken up across three weeks. Um, we are going to be starting with Titans Season 4B and Am I Being Unreasonable, the new show on Hulu. And in terms of video games, we will be talking about Movie House, the new release. Uh, next week, I'm thinking we're going to be talking about Tron Identity, um, and we'll see about that. Uh, 30-minute reviews, we will be continuing Outer Banks tomorrow, and we will have, uh, on Thursday, uh, we have Thrillville Off the Rails next Monday, and Evil Dead next Tuesday, contingent on there not being a ton of news to cover. Um, but, on that note, we will wrap up there for today. And if you want to support the show, you can go to multipleworldproductions.com slash sponsors, and you can check out all of the sponsors who help out the show, including Gamefly. So until our next episode, have a great rest of your week. This podcast is a production of Multiple World Productions. For more details about all the other things happening on all three podcasts, check out multipleworldproductions.com.